This is Tom. This is Jake. And this is Travis. And we are the Drunken Dork Podcast. Tune in every week and listen to us discuss the finer points on superheroes, the latest pop culture news, as well as all of our favorite moves. You can listen to us on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, or the Stitcher app for Android. And be sure to catch up on all of our episodes by visiting us over at www.drunkendorkpodcast.wordpress.com. And remember, folks, you have one liver. Ruin it well. Welcome to Adrian House. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Oh, there you go. Hey, guys. Welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian. Today is a very special episode of the podcast. The one thing I always love about recording Adrian Has Issues is the fact that even though the show is interview-based and I always love talking to creators and what have you about their projects and things that they may have going on, my favorite parts of those shows are always the, the parts where we get to just sit down and talk about something that we're into. Like, matter of fact, a couple episodes ago, I had a friend of mine, Aiden Wilson, as a guest, and we chatted about Frank Miller and Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, and Holy Terror, and, you know, Steve Kassan, who we chatted about summer movies, and Mad Max and Captain America Winter Soldier. Not too long ago, Jimmy LaChase, a really awesome comedian based out of New York, we sat and we talked about the current slate of DC movies, and, you know, we were basically just riffing, having an awesome time, just having fun, geeking out about the things we love, and some of the things we don't love. So I do like the fact that as much as I enjoy doing interviews, some episodes I just love kicking back and talking to some friends of mine about the things that we're into. So with that said, this episode is going to be kind of something along those lines. Last year, I had the honor of speaking with a former guest, Mario Candelaria, who's been on the show twice. One episode, he was talking about his book, Kamar, which he was launching a Kickstarter for. And then on a second episode, we were talking about his book, Ashes, which is a really awesome book about New York firefighters. On his very first appearance, Mario and I realized halfway through recording that we're both very big Fallout fans. And so we did a little bit of that. And originally, it was going to be Mario and Zach Som, who's a really awesome letterer and designer. 
And the three of us are going to basically sit down and talk Fallout. And as it comes, plans change, and Zach wasn't able to make the recording. So we realized Mario and I are really cool, but then we're like, you know what? We need a third person for this. We we, we basically needed the third heat, uh, for lack of a better term. So that's when I talked to one of my buddies, Stefan Nunez, who, next to Mario, probably like the leading authority to all things Fallout. And she's really awesome. And I have a lot of fun talking with her on Twitter. So the three of us had sat down, and I think between the two of us, the first episode we did, we were having a lot of connection issues. So we're, we're none of us are really that close to each other, but we're all on the East Coast, but Skype is a very strange beast. So if you've ever used it to record a podcast, you know that sometimes it's not always the most stable program. So unfortunately, the first episode, we just had to unfortunately cancel because of technical difficulties. The second time we attempted it, it really came out well, and we were all pretty much on point. We had a really good chat. We were talking about Fallout 3 mostly. After the episode was recorded, I go to look for the file, and the file was non-existent. Even though it said it was recording, somehow it was not. So this kind of went back and forth with this, and I was just like, ah, I can't believe this. Like I was so embarrassed because there's nothing worse than having a really great conversation for a podcast and then finding out it never got saved. So. This ended up being the third attempt to do the Fallout podcast. As it turns out, Mario unfortunately was not able to make it for this one. So Steph and I stepped in and we spent a lot of the time talking about Fallout 4. Now, if you're not really familiar with the Fallout series, the fourth edition came out for Xbox One and PlayStation 4 back in November. And one of the many reasons why it took us so long to kind of get back together to record this podcast is the fact that all three of us are playing Fallout 4 and we're still playing Fallout. So it's like <laughs> we would have recorded it, but yet this game's so engrossing. Steph and I cover a whole range of topics on this episode. We get into some of our favorite quests. Um, a mutual love for one of the best companions in the game, uh, who goes by Piper. We get into some other stuff, like dealing with some very ordinary settlers, and one, in fact, named Marcy, who one of my favorite bits of this episode is, and we talk about how annoying Marcy is because all she does is complain. And we get into some other really fun stuff, and I must warn you, if you're not necessarily a big Fallout fan... You may not necessarily find this episode as enjoyable as I do or anybody else because we kind of really get geeky with it and we do our best to maybe explain certain things, but this was just one of those episodes where we just went, we just went for it. So it's about 90 minutes long. It's a little bit longer than some of my standard episodes, but yet I had so much fun talking to Stefa about Fallout and I hope you guys really enjoy it too. And I really did like doing more stuff like this where it's just me and a buddy just talking about a really fun topic. So, without further ado, here is an Agent Has Issues special edition where I talk Fallout. It is now the year 2077. We stand on the brink of total war. And I am afraid. For myself. For my wife. For my infant son. Because if my time in the army taught me one thing, it's that war, war never changes.
So, I mean, and I can talk about three forever. Like, I have my, my talking points up from, the like, our first run of this. Right. It's so funny, though, cause, but one of the things I, I wrote up is how much I liked McCready back in three without knowing he was going to pop up in four. So that's, Wait, McCready was in three? Yeah, McCready's Mayor McCready. I did not put two and two together. He tells you he's from Little Lamplight if you talk to him enough. I didn't talk to him much. I only jumped in to keep him from killing that guy in, um... Oh, it's Memory Dent. Yeah, I ran into him there. We had a bit of an exchange. So I did enough to keep him so that way he could be a companion. But honestly, a lot of the companions I ran into after, because I met Piper first. Oh, God, but Piper is just like, it, she's Piper. She's the greatest. She's your intrepid reporter. <laughs> McCready looks really cool, but I'm like, tell you what, what I'll do is any of the companions that I run into, I'm just going to make it so that way they're helping out in Sanctuary. Right, right. You, you put him to work back home. McCready's running one of my stands. Huh. It's him, Kate, and I guess, spoiler, the uh, the vault tech rep. Yeah, I, I found him down at the hotel in Good Neighbor. Right. <laughs> and I'm trying to play this game, and I'm like, it's Fallout. I'm going to get guns. I'm going to shoot things. This game is so damn heart-wrenching. There's so much going on. Like I mentioned, I'm on my third run of it. I'm still finding and doing brand new things every single time. Like, what's the guy, um, was it Arlen Green? Where was he? Um, he's in a place called The Slog. It's like that ghoul-run settlement. Okay, so if you go to the toy factory, you can find his holotape talking about how much he misses hanging out with his daughter and his wife because he works so much. And then you find him at The Slog and you give him the holotape and you have this emotional moment with this guy. You're like, Fallout, you're supposed to be a stupid video game where I shoot mutants in the head. You're not supposed to be giving me, like, feelings. When I did the mission, I'm going through all the computers, and I'm like, Arlen Green, why does that name sound so familiar? And then I'm like, wait a minute, this is the guy, this is his factory. And I found the letter, and then the holotape, and I was just like, oh, God, this game. See, I found the holotape first because I'm, I'm a looter. I just grab everything I can and every holotape I can. Like, I check all the computers, I look at all the safes, like, there might be something. You know, it's like those little details that really make the game so immersive. It makes it, you know, feel like a lived-in world. So I found the holotape, and I listened to it. I'm like, oh, it's so sad. He never got to see her. And then I I get to the slog hours later, not even thinking about it, seeing this ghoul hanging out in, like, a shed building one of those horse things. And I'm like, hey, what's up, dude? He's like, oh, yeah, my family. And I see that give holotape thing pop up, and I'm like, oh. Before we get too far, I guess we should probably do a little prefacing. What was your first introduction into the Fallout series? Years ago, an old boyfriend had let me borrow Fallout 3. I was just really into Fable and kind of like the RPG-ish aspects of it and kind of like the the first-person shooter aspects of it. And the first time I played 3, I got about two, three hours in, got horribly murdered by fire ants. (laughs) And I found myself in Great Ditch and just got destroyed. Never even made it to Megaton, just, like, went out, died, uh, gave up on the game for a while longer, and then I think I got, like, the flu or something like that, and I was just laying in bed for days and ended up playing Fallout for days. And it's, like, to this day, Fallout 3 is my absolute favorite game. Like, I have uh, a copy up on my Xbox One, thanks to their uh, backwards compatibility, and uh, I got a free copy because I bought four. 
but it's a base copy. So I find myself spending more money on the DLC than I would if I just like go out and buy a copy of like the Game of the Year edition. That's what happened to me. I feel like you've heard the story eight times because, well, this is like the eighth time we tried to do this. Oh, man. Technical difficulties are fun. Well, I mean, it would be a Bethesda topic if it wasn't glitching out all the time. <laughs> Oh, that's gold. But <laughs> I remember watching that first trailer for Fallout 3. And at the time, this is terribly nerdy, but I was in a science fiction group. Um, we did comic books, you know, novels and stuff like that. But it turns out a lot of the guys in the group were massive Fallout fans. They're talking about this like it was almost real life. And I'm like, what is this game to talk about? It's like, oh, it's called Fallout. But I didn't realize they were talking about the, you know, the old isometric. Like top down, because there's such a division between one and two and three in New Vegas and four now. Like, right. It's, it's war between the factions, practically. <laughs> yeah. So then when Fallout 3 came out around that time, they got really heated because like a lot of the purists, they were like, well, this isn't the Fallout that we grew up with. And, you know, they're making this for the Call of Duty type generation and stuff like that. And I'm like, all right, well, you know what? They're so angry about this game. I need to know what it is. It's like, how dare they make it more accessible for people, you angry nerds? <laughs> I've, I've seen their message boards. It's some of, like, the saltiest internet interactions I've ever seen. It's like, I'm sorry that they made something more accessible for people. Like, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, I know. How dare they, godless swine? <laughs> and for me, like, retrofuturism is something that I've always really liked and I think is really fascinating. I, when I visited New York last year, I went and saw the ruins of the old World's Fair, and I just think it's really fascinating to see the future as envisioned by the past. So this type of aesthetic, once I was able to, like, take the time and get into the world, like, that's really something that I can easily fall into as long as I can find it kind of immersive. I had a PlayStation 3, and the first two games I bought for it were Demon's Souls and Fallout 3, which are two of probably the most difficult games on a console at the time. Right. And I sold it. I'm like, this game's awful. I can't do it. <laughs> Next, you know, the internet is like, oh, Fallout 3 is one of the best games ever. So I'm like, all right, fine. I'll play it. Got the game of the year edition. And again, I'm like, I'm not getting into this. And I got sick. It was summer of 2010, and I got really just sick, like bedridden, like I can't do anything else. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to play this game because, A, I can't change the discs because I can't get out of the bed. And I kid you not, three days went past. But the problem is Fallout 3 was oppressively dark. And after a while, playing like a lot of games like that, like they kind of bummed me out. So in order to keep from getting like too bummed out and depressed, I would listen to like really like twee indie pop. <laughs> So every time I listen to what's the um the Zoe Deschanel band, she and him. That is like peak tweeness too. That's that's as see as you're gonna get. I was gunning down like feral ghouls listening to that because it was just I I had to. See, I just really love the '50s soundtrack as repetitive as it would get. So I'd be like singing along to Ella Fitzgerald and popping dudes' heads off with my plasma rifle, and it was super super fun. It was just a really nice escapism. Do you have that thing where, like, you listen to it now and you get a little uneasy when you start hearing that music in non-game situations? I think it's that I'm so, so comfortable in the Fallout universe. Like, I just, I feel like if I hear that music, it's an indication that I'm going to really enjoy whatever's going to happen next. Um, when the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend premiered, which is one of my favorite new shows... The first scene is them singing, um, it's a song from South Pacific. It's that one where they just sing over and over, I'm in love with a wonderful guy. Yes, okay, I know the song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure that has a proper name. I probably just said it as a title. I have no idea. 
but that was the opening to that show. And as soon as I heard that song queue up, I was like, oh, I'm going to love this. This is exactly for me. I take any fallout indication, like when I was walking up the street right as 4 was announced, I saw like a carburetor on the ground. Somebody just dropped it. My first instinct was like, I wonder what I could scrap that for. <laughs> like, if I accidentally fell into the Fallout universe, I would probably get shot a bunch, but that's fine because I would probably be able to find a plasma rifle eventually. Now, I realize if we ever did end up in a real Fallout situation, I'm straight because, well, I realized I'm not quite an alcoholic, but me and my friends, we both have, like, in our houses containers of a bunch of bottle caps, and I realize we're going to be rich. I'm just very good at managing my inventory as I walk around. Like, I've got, like, my bag, I, I've got my messenger bag that I know how to pack it appropriately for every situation I'm going out, like... I feel confident in my abilities to go out and loot someplace and come back with exactly what I need. Like, I'll make a dart gun. It'll be fine. Nothing's going to go too wrong. <laughs> kind of think about it, though, with Fallout 4, the anticipation for this game was nuts. Oh, yeah. I mean, I must have spent so much time and money on Fallout 4 even before it came out. I did the loot crate. I got the Pip-Boy edition. And then I bought another copy, like, just downloading it from the Xbox uh, Marketplace, because I didn't want to wait for my Pip-Boy edition to come the day after it was released. I wanted it the day of. I didn't get the Pip-Boy edition or the special edition. I just got, like, you know, regular bare bones. But I definitely splurged to get, like, the same day, because Amazon has a tendency to not ship things out when the games drop. You just don't understand. <laughs> they don't. And I did that thing. Like, I haven't done this in years where I was at my girlfriend's house because and I knew that Fallout 4 was coming out on a Tuesday. I was spending time with her, so I brought my PS4 with me so I wouldn't have to wait till I got back home. And I looked out the window and waited for the mailman, and it was, like, pouring rain that day. And, like, I ran out barefoot, like, in shorts, and I literally just, like, yanked the box out of his hand and, like, ran back in and slammed the door. If he was bringing, like, your, your lost love to you, it would be a romantic comedy scene right there. Like, the moment they were reunited. <laughs> right? And I felt so bad. <laughs> my girl came home, and I just had this look on my face. Like, wow, you must be really glad to see me. But then I didn't say anything. She was like, oh, let me guess Fallout came, didn't it? It's like, yep. See, I'm single, and I all I have is, like, the cat hanging out. He's a wonderful cat, and I love having him around. We love Cheesy. Oh, he's the greatest. And somebody asked me, he's like, do you have a boyfriend? Wouldn't he get upset with you if, like, you took all that time off work to play this video game? Because I took, like, that the rest of the week off to play Fallout. And I'm like, I wouldn't date a guy who would have a problem with me taking five days off from work straight to play a video game. <laughs> I really, like, you know, if you know me, you know this game is important to me. Like, I'm not in any type of industry where I should be, like, doing a podcast. I don't have anything to promote. I'm just, like, a guy who is really enthusiastic about this game like that's that's just like my thing yeah i didn't know that was a thing and i guess it is where i don't know i guess it's one of those stereotypical relationship things where if you are involved with somebody you know the person just automatically hates everything you're into but i'm like if i was worried that my girlfriend would be really upset that i was playing too much fallout but i'm like and she's really the one that really makes more Fallout references than i do now and it's also like why would i date somebody who i whether was like diametrically opposed to my own hobbies or that wouldn't be able to communicate with me in effective sorry i'm going off into like relationship theory right Right now, that's <laughs> but Stefa, don't you know that you're supposed to date your exact opposite that you hate in every way? Oh, right. I'm supposed to fight with him through like 85 minutes of the, the movie. And then in the last five, we reconcile and decide that we really do like each other. That's that's super duper healthy. <laughs> right. And it's like, hey, being single and playing Fallout, that's what I did for a good chunk of years. So, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. 
I gotta say, I'm enjoying myself here. Like, I don't, I don't know about these other people who are questioning my my enjoyment, but I'm feeling pretty good about things. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Let's let's be honest. Life sucks. And if your your outlet is gunning down mutants or freaking out when you hear the beeping of a super mutant suicide, or- so on my third run through Fallout Four, I have decided to play as Britta Perry from the Community series. Are you serious? It is so hard, and this was really stupid of me. <laughs> she is the opposite of Batman. So I have, like, really low charisma and high strength. Like, every time she passes a speech check, I'm astonished. <laughs> so earlier, I was, like, playing through with her, and I have um, a laser rifle. Okay. Like, it was, like, paintballish. And I see a suicider come up, and I'm trying to, like, pick him off using bats, and she's missing every shot. And I'm just like, you just Britted the fuck out of me. You're going to kill us all. You just Britted it. The whole thing, like, every single, like, step I take is, like, what would Britta do? She would probably do something stupid. (laughs) That is amazing. Like, I just finished, um, I would say, like, right before New Year's. Actually, it was New Year's Eve. I was heading to a friend's house, but, like, I couldn't leave until I finished the game. Well, no, I'm sorry. I finished it, like, about a week before that, but I was kind of covering like the other endings of the game but you had mentioned that your playthrough from the first time kind of really varied between like you know the other so i mean what did you mean by that exactly uh the first playthrough what do you mean like varied i remember you had mentioned it once it might have been online where you said that you had like a lot of opinions from uh, like the subsequent playthroughs as opposed to the very first one i mean for me playing through four a lot of the excitement for me is going to be that's my city that's that's boston uh, three was such a huge, huge game in my life that to have it basically it feels like it's very for me in the terms of like it's my city, it's like my game. The tagline is "Welcome home." Like, oh, oh, okay, this is all mine. <laughs> so I went and I found like the Starbucks I go to every morning before work, and like being able to like oh, doing the Freedom Trail as a quest was so infuriating. Because I have done the Freedom Trail in real life. I have to do that stuff on stupid school field trips. I've done it, and I'm done. (laughs) I actually vacationed in Boston maybe about three years ago, and we did the Freedom Trail. And I realized, you know, the the one in real life was a lot less aggravating than this one. Yeah, and it's like, I just started thinking, like, is the DLC going to be more boring field trips I had to do as a child? Is it, like, going to be, like, Plymouth Plantation and the Mayflower, and you have to, like, go explore the boat but not touch anything because it's the Mayflower and it's all special? (laughs) But see, I I wonder, though, being that you're from that area, in terms of accuracy, um, how close was it? I mean, they got the river right and the neighborhoods right uh, for the most part. Uh, Somerville, which is my location, and I was very excited to see it in there, but apparently Somerville moved, like, very far to the southwest from where it actually is. It's usually, you know, it usually hangs out above Cambridge, a little to the north. They got the major neighborhoods right. They obviously had to, like, squish things down. The skyline is different, and the buildings are a lot different. Um, I loved finding the USS Constitution stuck in a building. I love those robots so much. Okay, can we just stop and talk about that for a second? One of the best quests I've ever played in Fallout history. It's so much fun. Those robots are the coolest. Like, I I wanted them to be my companions. Like, I kept talking to Ironsides, trying to, like, win him over. He was this great gentleman, and I I love the hat. Like, the captain's hat. And, yeah, if he's going to be the captain, he is going to look and sound the part. (laughs) You know, it's about committing to the things you do. 
right? And I just wanted to know their backstory because I'm like, okay, most Sentry bots that I find aren't A, this polite, and B, they usually explode more when I'm near them. So it's like, I want to know who programmed these guys exactly and how did they end up with like these like colonial sailor matrixes? It's so fun to to come across things like that. Like they, a bunch of robots gained sentience and decided that their most important job was to maintain the mission of this boat. All right. Works for me. <laughs> and I felt so glad, like, after a series of having to constantly fight raiders and, like, the people who were, like, uh, trying to take them out, and they finally found all the components to get their ship sailing. And I remember, <laughs> like, as the ship is powering up and you're watching it from afar, and I'm getting all emotional because it almost. <laughs> It almost reminded me of what was it New Vegas with was it the Boomers mission where they were trying to get the space shuttle or the don't... plane out from the bottom of the lake. Yes, that too. Because I don't remember a space shuttle one, but I remember that the Boomers wanted the plane from the bottom of the lake, and like you were supposed to, you went and put the ballast on it. Oh, wasn't there somebody who was trying to get it to space, or am I getting my games mixed oh, up? Um, it wasn't the Boomers. It was the um the not the Children of Adam. It was uh like. Like, they were, like, monks, and they were over in the rocket. Let me look this up, because I know exactly what one you're talking about. It was, I think it was a Fly Me to the Moon was the name of the mission. <laughs> okay, so this is over at the Repcon test site, where you talk to Jason Bright, who's the leader of the ghouls over there. A lot of them are turning feral, but most of them are just, like, ghouls who want to go back out into space for some reason. And remember, it has the guy who thinks he's a ghoul, but isn't really one. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And I remember that was the mission that glitched because I think that was the one where you had to do something with, like, the solar panels. Oh, yeah, you had to wait for, like, the very specific right time to launch them out. Right, and I remember for some reason I had that for Xbox 360. And I don't know why this glitch happened, but once you exit the door... I love how I'm talking New Vegas and not 4, by the way, but... Yeah, it's, it's Fallout. We're all in the same wheelhouse here. So once you would exit like the giant metal doors to get out to where the panels are, for some reason the game would glitch and basically what was like almost like a wall of mole rats would attack you. Oh, fun! Yeah, um, scared the bejesus out of me. I I ran and turned off the TV because I couldn't bear <laughs> to see it. It was horrifying. The mole rats are a lot harder in uh, in four. Well, four is just generally a lot harder than the other games, I think. I was about to say, everything's harder. You know how many feral ghouls I would just pop off? No problem. They're faster. First off, everything's faster. The Mirelurks are not messing around. No, screw the... No, fuck Mirelurks. I am... No, you know what? I'm just going to say it's fuck Mirelurks because I'm so tired of wasting half my ammo trying to hit their undersides. Oh my god, and there's so many different kinds and the queen will pop out out of nowhere. Even from I was just like very afraid of Meyer Lurks and the Nuka Lurks especially because one of the worst times I died in three was when one caught me in a stairwell at the Nuka Cola plant and chopped my head off. <laughs> oh, that's terrible, but it's kind of funny at the same time. Oh yeah, it was pretty hilarious, like in retrospect. But at the time, like that was one of those moments where I shut off the game and just walked away. But see, the Meyer Lurk Queen. I mean, it's massive and it's pretty powerful, but all I gotta do is kind of stick and move. Uh, where did I find one to fall off for? It was near a factory. There's one when you're clearing um, a settlement for Preston. Goddamn Preston. Oh, we'll get into that in a second. That's like, that's a whole other episode. Are you kidding me? But the Myler Kings are worse. I was in a lake and I came across two of them. I ran and somehow they were fast enough to catch up with me. Oh, yeah, they're terrible. The Kings are like tiny and they 
they will scuttle after your ass. Oh, and then the death claws, which the one thing I do like, if you follow the game story-wise, like kind of on the path that they set you out on, you'll fight a death claw within like the first maybe half hour of that game. Right, right, right outside the museum. Right, and I'm saying to myself, I got power armor, I got a mini gun, I'm set, this thing's toast. I didn't realize that Death Claws would a, be able to dodge minigun fire. <laughs> and that's when I realized this game was going to ruin my life. See, I find like the Death Claws got nerfed a little bit in this version. Like, I don't feel they're as ferocious. Like, I'm way more scared of, like, if rad scorpions come up or something like that. The Death Claws did get nerfed, I think, power-wise, but I think they compensated with speed. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm playing on, like, a lower difficulty, mostly because I just don't care enough to not, like, I don't know. I'm not really interested in proving anything to anyone. I just kind of want to have fun. And uh, the first run-through when I was playing on normal, I got the absolute shit kicked out of me, like, on a pretty regular interval. So I I knocked that back to very easy for a little while, especially (laughs) since they switched the uh, shoulder button for bats, and I kept fucking that up. The one thing I really hate about this game is I used VATS, obviously for various reasons, like not just for targeting, but also for scanning, because I was the idiot who, like, I almost broke the shoulder buttons on my controllers, because I would hit the VATS button, like, every couple of seconds. See, I don't like that they, um, they removed the tickers, or, like, the little tick on your heads-up display when you're still hidden. Like, they'll only show you active enemies who can see you. Right. And that kind of screws up my strategy where I would just, like, sneak along and, like, keep an eye on my display just to see what was going on. It also doesn't show you friendlies, which I don't like either because it makes finding random encounters a little bit more difficult. I'm on YouTube like, every so often, and there's, like, random encounters you may have missed in Fallout, and I'm like, where does any of this stuff happen? I did run into the Preston Garvey impersonator. Wait, what? Yeah, I ran into a Preston Garvey impersonator. He was trying to raise money for the Minutemen. And he was talking about the new general. And I just, you know, happened to be the general of the Minutemen. Because that's the thing that I became because I'm awesome. And uh, I called him out and he ran away. (laughs) I didn't see that. I did run across these two guys. One was the synth and one of them is real. Oh, wow. I didn't see that. Yeah, I forget their names, but there's this one random, like, settler guy. Like, they're in, like, a standoff. They're pointing guns at each other. And one of them is a synth, and the other is the real thing. And you then have to figure out, like, which one is which. Or either you can get one of them killed, or you can basically, if your speech is high enough, to talk them both down to, like, the point where it doesn't make a difference. Like, you're going to have to figure out how to coexist until one of you dies a little bit more naturally. (laughs) I run into a guy selling, or, like... Maybe it was a lady selling Brahmin, and you could send it to one of your settlements and improve your food. And I did run into a guy who was selling dogs. Oh, the dog guy. Yeah, and I, like I failed the speech check first at first, and he wouldn't let me buy one. So I had to reload and charm him harder, so that way he would actually let me have a dog. Now, did you actually get one? or? Yeah, I got two. I kept running into them, so I, I found two so far. But um, that was on my second playthrough, where I got hit with like every single bug. My first playthrough was relatively, like, bug-free. Yeah. But my second one, like, I hit one at Boston After Dark, and I couldn't proceed. I hit the one at Covenant, and I couldn't proceed. Like, I just kept getting stuck in... If you can't ally with the railroad, like, what are you supposed to do? I'm supposed to go Brotherhood or Institute, and that really shut down, like, a lot of the replayability of that that round. Knock on wood, I haven't run across any of the game-breaking glitches, I was frustrated enough that I went to Bethesda's website and filled out a bug report. Really? I, no one ever does those. I 
it all the time. I especially do it with snack food companies, and I let them know what I think of their snack foods because a lot of times they send me coupons for free free stuff. Oh, I got to start complaining to snacks more often. You got to do it in a constructive and polite way, and that's the way that works. Oh yeah, you can't really cuss them out like I hope you die and expect to get free kettle chips. Yeah, it's like you know I love you guys, but your potato chips are really like you could do better, and I really like here's how I think you could do better. It helps that I like really enjoy perfectly harmless recreational tobacco product. Um, and then go online and write these letters. But yeah, I was I was frustrated enough with not being able to proceed in the Boston After Dark quest and therefore not being able to do any of the, like, the side railroad quests at all. So I, I went to the website, I filled out my little bug report, I explained what the problem was, and nothing will probably come of it, but at least I tried. <laughs> you mentioned Preston before. Let's talk factions. The one thing I always love about any Fallout game is the fact that it's less about you surviving, you know, as it is you trying to basically deal with all of these other wacky as shit groups. I think New Vegas really did the factions best. I think they were really, like, had the best mechanic for managing that. But I think that you can get really involved with the factions uh, before having to make a decision in four. Like, adds a little bit more fun to it. It, And when people talk about, like, the realism or, like, how strong the story is, I don't think they understand that, like, this is a game for fun that we're supposed to be playing with. So being able to, like, get really in deep and be a double agent for, you know, three different factions for hours upon hours in a game, I think, is a benefit to the game and replayability and just general, like, enjoyment of it. A lot of the criticism towards Fallout 4 is the fact that it was almost too familiar at times, and I guess for people who aren't aware that Bethesda's game mechanics really don't change a lot, you know, they refine certain things in terms of like animation and maybe graphics, but the overall way the games play out are very similar, especially if you played any of the Elder Scrolls games. Right, right. Whereas 3 in New Vegas, or especially 3, really kind of felt like this immersive experience. 4 was, in a way, I think the most accessible. And 3, you literally had no choice. You you were on the side of the Brotherhood. You could be a huge dick about it, but you were still, like, working for them. Right. You could defect and go work for the Enclave. Or could you? I don't know. I, should I have tried hard to do that? The entire end of that game with Liberty Prime, I don't think there's any way you could avoid that. Yeah, you can't, like, fight that from the other side, really. So you go from having zero choice to having, like, multiple choices with factions that are weighed against each other, and you have a good and evil scale along with all of that. Like, it's it's almost like an embarrassment of riches in New Vegas that, like, this world is so fully formed. And then you go back to 4, and it's obviously, like, it's a less civilized world over there. It's It doesn't have a major hub of a city keeping it together, and it's not like the, the capital wasteland where it's an absolute total wasteland. I think four in terms of, like, societal development is somewhere between three and New Vegas. Yeah, and that's the one thing I did notice that they didn't call it a wasteland. It's known as the Commonwealth, which I think in a way is a very big statement towards the overall landscape of Boston where, you know, it's not this complete, with the exception of, like, I think the Glowing Sea, it's still pretty intact, whereas they kind of didn't have that in the Mojave or out in the Capital Wasteland, like you said. Like, in three, the city is in ruins absolute total ruins and in four like boston does have its ruins but you can navigate it much more easily like it obviously wasn't hit as hard if i'm not mistaken dc was what the first hit right right i can't remember if it was the first hit but i know it was one of the hardest hit so that's why like the white house is a shell 
like with just some pillars standing up and you know the you have to get around by the subway system because everything above ground is just ruins and part of that's like the processing power of the game systems at that time they couldn't really have these big open worlds but it also created an environment that that was really immersive in that like you felt that society had collapsed there and in four you don't feel like that same collapse so much you feel like it's been put on pause more that the structure is intact and it's ready to go. It just needs to be cleaned up and cleared out. And I think a lot of that comes very clear in the quest to, to clear up the castle for the Minimax. Yes. You can go there and you have these resources, but it's up to you to put them back together. It's like Moira in 3. Moira is my favorite. I love her. I don't know why people don't like her. I think she's the greatest because she's an optimist. And she talks about like being handed the ruins of these, this world and wanting to be able to put it back together. And I think... Four is really that spirit of the game of, like, here are the ruins of this world. How are you going to put it back together? And I know some people think of it as a slate, but I think of three as the game's kind of on rails as far as how it plays out story-wise. Right. And four, I mean, um, New Vegas, rather, excuse me, is much more open-ended as far as how you can play it out. Because, again, how you interact with the factions is the name of the game. Right, right. And I think it's actually interesting to me that I think... New Vegas is, is more restrictive because the society is so settled. You know, most areas are claimed, so you can't really explore. Uh, you're always ending up in, like, a locked room where you shouldn't be because it's been claimed by some faction that you might have problems with. And I, I found the world a little bit more difficult to navigate in New Vegas simply because you were already dealing with these, you know, things that had been settled before you even arrived. You know, the factions are already fighting. New Vegas is, like, already on, like, the precipice of a big change, and you just happen to be the agent of that change. And in this game, it feels like you really are, like, starting from nothing, and you're also meeting other... This game being four, like, you're starting from nothing. The people you are meeting are starting from nothing, or, like, the Minutemen are starting over after Quincy, or the Brotherhood are just showing up. It's interesting to, to see the start of a civilization as opposed to, like, a turning point within a civilization. Right, and the over storyline of you, whether you choose to be the, the mother or the father of your child, you know, that idea of you trying to find your child and not realizing, well, I guess, if you didn't know that there's spoilers at this point, but, you know, realizing that a lot of time has passed and you thought, Yeah, and that's right, because it's like, I like the fact that it is sort of starting over, and it's, you know, when the game started, I kind of thought it was going to be a lot like Fallout 3, where, you know, since you have such a clear objective that you weren't going to have much else to do, but in this game, you're right, it's really about starting over, and as much as I hate, you know, doing stuff for the Minutemen, most of my time in the game was rebuilding, and not just necessarily the little tiny settlements, but trying to rebuild Sanctuary, which is your home, and, like, the poignancy behind that of, you know, you've been gone for 200 years, but yet the first thing you really set out to do before you even find, you know, the remnants of your family is rebuild the town you came from. Right, right. You need to make your space in the world. And maybe it's that same space that you had before. Like, a lot of people have been setting up at Sanctuary. I set up at the Red Rocket truck stop. Interesting. I never would have thought to sit there first. I love it there. I send all my companions there. Like, that's me and my companions, and that's where I do all my crafting. Like, that's my my quiet space where it's a bunch of people who aren't going to complain at me and can handle their own in fights. 
Oh, see, I should have done that, though, because I put everybody in Sanctuary, and honestly, Preston's entourage, for like a better term, you know, Sturges and Mama Murphy, and right. um, what's her name? Oh, Marcy. I, you know, I can't tell you how many times I actually shot Marcy. Marcy needs to shove it and get over Right? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Everybody has gone, like, my baby got kidnapped and my husband got shot in front of me, okay? Like, this guy, Preston, he lost his entire way of life when the Minutemen fell apart. Like, that Justin guy, like, the Justin Lin, I think it's his name, like, he is a shattered human being. And this lady just wants to complain. Yeah, like, this man lost his entire family and he's trying so hard to keep it together. And this lady just wants to, to bitch about every little thing. Like, sorry, I have such feelings about some of the people. Oh, uh, one thing I do want to mention is that the accents, they're good. I was astonished. I was scared because, let's be honest, the Boston accent is one of like the most easily mocked, I think, in our country. There's so many different versions of it that to, to try to do a generic Boston accent, most people will fail at it because they don't understand like the core concepts. It's not about like... Yes, we drop our R's, but we also, like, in the middle of the words, it's an A-H, and there's, like, these little tiny nuances, and it sounds like they got all, like, they got all their voice actors to do, like, the two or three little things that we all do with our, our words when we're not paying attention, and that seemed to carry them through well enough that it was believable, and I never broke out of the game because somebody's accent was so bad, it was just like, oh, that's, that's just not how it sounds, like, nobody would talk like that, <laughs> that never happened in this game. It happens a lot in movies, but not not here for some reason. Yeah, Bethesda really did their homework. And, like, I mean, obviously, you know, the location of the game, I've only been there once, so I couldn't really comment on how accurate that was. But everything sounded pretty authentic. Yeah, I mean, it, it worked well enough. Like, it's, it's not perfect, nothing is. But, like, getting one of the random encounters you can find is a guy uh, in a back alley somewhere who's selling credit cards. For $100 and a $10, like, processing fee. And you can use this credit card at any merchant. And, of course, like, nobody's using credit cards in Slaw's game. So, like, I think it's hilarious. I give him my money because I just think it's really funny. And I start walking away, and I can hear him call me a retard. And I'm like, okay, it's, like, those little touches that are, like, terrible but honest parts of Boston. <laughs> like, I can see some guy, like, scamming someone using, like, a terrible term like that at them and just like, yep, that's that's what'll happen here. <laughs> and speaking of factions, I wanted to join the railroad so bad. Like, if this were a real thing, like, I wanted to hang up a Glory, and I was so upset she wasn't a companion. See, I hated Deacon so much, and he just, like, turned me off from the whole, like, railroad thing. I wanted to run the Institute because I want a robot army, but they're such dicks that I just don't want to, like, join them and help out. Go figure. Really? You Like, you're a fan of the Institute? I just want robots. I just really, really like robots. I love the Constitution and those robots. I got tricked by a robot at Cambridge Polymer Labs, and that was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, that's the one where they trap you in there and they try to kill you with, the, like, the poison gas? Where the robot traps you in the lab and you have to finish the research project or, like, trigger the security alarm. I died of radiation poisoning so many times there. Oh, it's so bad. And, like, the you just you get tricked by robots a lot. And I just think it's really fun. I want to live in a world where more robots exist. I still haven't figured out how to, like, throw down on McDonough and Diamond City for being a synth. And I got to figure out how to do that because I just really, like, I just don't like that guy. I actually saved my game earlier today and just started shooting him, and he wouldn't die, so I guess he's, like, important to something later. So <laughs> as soon as whatever important thing passes, I'm going to go back and kill him. <laughs> if you can get past how annoying Deacon is, 
the railroad is so much fun because I guess I'm such a fan of like those old like underground like spy networks. Oh no, I totally understand. The, they are who I did my first round, and it was like it was fun. And then I think I got a little tired after doing all the radiant quests like over and over again. Yeah, that's true. They did get a little repetitive. At least it's not Minutemen repetitive. Ugh, God. Um. But yeah, the railroad, I think, was like, and it's the most, like, morally upstanding option, I think, that you can do. You can just, like, yeah, let's just free everybody and not worry about, like, being huge dicks about everything. You know, we'll help the Minutemen on that scale and help them, like, rebuild society on, like, a person-to-person basis. You know, we'll help the railroad and they'll have, like, the lofty ideals part of it covered. We do not help the Brotherhood because they're a bunch of fascists. I don't know how, like, Hugh Maxon is. I, I'm not dealing with him. You know, and I didn't realize, speaking of McCready, that he was also in Fallout 3. Yeah, he's that snot-nosed little kid. And he's a snot-nosed guy who was actually strangely attractive. <laughs> yeah, now he's a grown-up who's like, you're cute, but you suck. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, I remember his name. So I went and like Googled it, like, oh shit, this is that little kid. It's like, you know what? I'm sorry, you're kind of badass looking. You got this really cool jacket. Is that a scar? I like scars. That's cool. <laughs> like he just like oh shit man i'm like look i mean unfortunately looking at max and maybe like questioned a lot about myself but i'm like fuck it <laughs> that brotherhood of steel quest where you find out the truth about dance i couldn't figure out how to save him and i couldn't figure out how to get to that quest in the second game like second run that i did what was your like the speech not high or did you just go through a different series of quests or I don't know. I don't know. I never found, like, I never came across that quest in my second run. So I think when people were talking about how, like, narrow the uh, options are in this game, like, did not realize how many quests you can, like, find or skip. Like, I got an entirely different set for the Brotherhood my second run. Interesting. I wonder how that changed. I probably, like, skipped something or or ignored something my first run. I, I don't know. I wasn't paying a lot of attention to what I was doing. (laughs) <laughs> I did that one quest with dance, like right before you get the option to join the Brotherhood of Steel. The one where you have to go get the thing at Arcjet? Yes. Okay, yeah. Hated that mission with a passion, and I hated dance. And I get it, they're military, they're rigid. And I'm sure this is all great, but I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I had... I personally have a really big problem with authority. So dealing with the brotherhood, I just, I just couldn't deal with it. And like, every time he told me to do something, I just, I just got angry and I did those missions begrudgingly. Yeah. I'm like, I don't feel good about working for these guys. I just kind of want to get at your tech. So I'm just going to do this as like best I can going through the motions. But I didn't even find that they had the best power armor. Like once you get really good at crafting, it's like at that point, the one thing that's cool about the brotherhood of steel isn't even like a thing anymore and now everybody can use the power armor so what does it even matter right oh my goodness one of my friends is messaging me that she uh started fallout 3 i gave her my old game of the year edition since she just got an xbox 360 very cool so she's all very excited she skipped the goat and went straight to tagging skills without having to take the test which is a time saver and she beat the overseer with a bat holy shit yeah she's broken <laughs> down so I'm, I'm really excited to to have her update me about how she likes uh, Fallout 3. I've never decided to do that in Fallout 3 because every time I start that game, I always go to the emotions. I never just thought it, like to start shit. I keep everybody alive just in case they're important later. But like, I appreciate the urge for people to just be like, no, I'm going to murder this guy. This guy sucks. She beat him with a bat. <laughs> See, I get aggressively like Canadian where I'll do something terrible, but then I'll kind of get apologetic about the whole thing. Then I'll just like restart the save. Oh, man. Not having in four and just having like your companions approval of you 
that's that's a little weird to navigate. Like, I just, this one round, was able to get Codsworth to like me. It took me so much crafting to get that stupid robot to like me finally. I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I'm not doing anything, like, I'm not stealing. I'm not, like, not helping people. I'm playing as Britta, so, I mean, at this point, I'm just being super-duper friendly to everybody. And, like, uh, I was watching the D&D episode, and she gets really distracted by, like, meeting gnomes. And she's like, we have to, like this gnome society problem that doesn't mean anything to the main story so i'm playing with like that kind of like mindset cosworth like i didn't really hang out with i did for a little bit like all right you're boring me i need dog meat see i don't like the dog i don't know what like it's just not enough interaction for me because there's piper and if you travel with piper for long enough like nobody else is going to be good enough you give her the wedding ring that you have in your inventory and you set it to equip like that's that's the piper that you deal with I didn't think to do that. Son of a bitch. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Piper, love her. Because she is, like, you don't have to worry about her as a companion, and she can carry a lot, and she doesn't get annoying with, like, her speech patterns. Because some of them, like, Kate gets super annoying. Like, stop complaining. Just stop complaining. Like, any companion that complains, I'm not down for Normally in a game where you have the option of your personality, whether you want to be the good guy or the bad guy, since I normally go good the first time, like, Piper might as well have just married me from, like, the first minute. Right? You're going to make all of, like, the good morality decisions. But she also loves lockpicking, which is a thing that I love, too. And she likes old stuff, so when I, like, loot old places, she is not giving me shit, unlike Codsworth and McCready and Kate, when I, like, pick up 18 tin cans or something like that. But I think a lot of it is the fact that Piper, to me, feels like that's the companion the game kind of wants you to go with. Like, she's really one of the most realized characters in Fallout 4, because when you meet her, I think her backstory is so very flushed out because she's constantly reporting about the Institute. Right. And at least in my playthrough, she was the first time I had heard anything about since. And, you know, obviously the town kind of dislikes her. They know she's known to be a rabble rouser. And then you meet her little sister. And, like, she has this whole life already set up when you meet her. Yeah, she's she's a, a fully-fledged character. She's, like, a real person within that world. Uh, you feel like if you didn't show up, she would be doing that anyways. And that's actually, like, the beauty of the Fallout, like, franchise and series is that it builds worlds that you feel like if you weren't there they would still be progressing in some fashion. Like, three was a little less than that, but I feel like they would have, like, I feel like the Enclave and the Brotherhood would have come to a head at some point, even if you hadn't, like, wandered out of the ball and tried to make stuff happen. Yeah. It's like those fully realized worlds that make them so enjoyable to explore. My favorite thing with Piper was, I um, I like collecting all the companions and, like, seeing what they, they offer for, like, quests and bonuses and perks and stuff. Like, I just, I think that stuff is interesting to try to uncover. So I was, like, cycling through, like, trying to, like, max out everybody. I think I had gotten, like, Hancock and Kate and a couple other people, like, Curie. But I found the Boston Bugle Building, their old newspaper building. So I went back to uh, the Red Rock truck stop where everybody was. Okay. And switched out, and I got Piper. And I brought her back to the newspaper building, because I thought she would just really enjoy, like, seeing it. I thought she would, like, enjoy the old newspaper building. We could, like, read some stuff on the terminals, and, like, she could see an old-timey newspaper office. Like, that's how I feel about Piper. <laughs> and, yeah, you're right as far as, like, going back to the whole, like, thing about characters complaining. But she, all most of her reactions seemed appropriate. Like, what's the one charter school you go to where you find out, like, that whole thing with the food paste? Oh, right. That place is weird. 
I was on a phone with my girlfriend when I was doing that mission, and I was, like, repulsed. Because I'm like, I read so many, like, stories, you know, like, soil and green kind of thing. And then when you go into the kit, um, in the cafeteria, and you go into the back room, and you see the machine, and you see, like, uh, like a trail of, like, the, the pink slime or whatever, and you see the handprints around what looks like a, like a chipper or a processor. They're able to build such, like, a deeply uncomfortable tableau. Like, I wonder who's in charge of, like, skeleton setting. Like, I feel like there's going to be a team of people who are, like, specifically in charge of setting up skeletons in weird places to make you uncomfortable. <laughs> like, I can't tell you how many skulls I found in the toilets, but... <laughs> oh, there's so many skeletons. There's, like, one strangling another over a safe, and they're in, like, bathtubs surrounded by mannequins and, like, strewn about in all these, like hunched over a corner at a coffee shop that you're walking past like who's in charge of all of these skeletons one of my favorite piper moments is because she has a tendency like i'll explore a place i'll leave but then she'll like walk into the room because she's always like lagging behind and, right. and she's kind of like oh so what's going on and she just stops and i'm like oh this is like the new definition of foul <laughs> like she was just so grossed out by being there and she was just uh like, I love that team because in my storyline, like, um, my character, because most times when I play like, either Skyrim or Fallout, like, anytime there's a character creation, I usually go female because you don't get the option to play too many female characters in games. I always go female just because I like to, you know, play as a version of myself because I'm a person who, you know, just like anybody, I like to play as a version of myself, an idealized version of myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like this idea that I was like this, you know, this, like badass mom that was like trying to find her kid and literally like goes yeah. through hell and then of course like she meets piper and then it's like, it's like sarah connor yes exactly <laughs> and then piper shows up they're like this really awesome badass lesbian couple that just guns things down for no reason whatsoever they're gonna clean up the commonwealth and help people that's like that's piper's thing piper wants like she wants you to help the people that you come across and make the the commonwealth a better place I think it's a fascinating storyline with the Institute. Um, and I think the companions are kind of like the de facto morality barometer now. You travel with who suits you best for the like majority of things. Like for the majority of time, Piper suits me best. I don't steal and I don't kill innocents, so I'm always gonna be in very good favor with her. Right. I can't remember exactly who, but there are a few that don't like my playstyle, like I think Strong doesn't like it when you lockpick and that's like a lot of what I do. Wait, really? He doesn't like lockpicking? I don't understand it. And, like, he doesn't like it when you put on power armor, but Dance really loves it when you put on power armor. It's, like, those weird little personality traits that kind of, like, will govern your behavior in, in certain ways instead of having, like, that a little bit more rigid, uh, like, good versus evil thing. The Institute, man. Oh. <laughs> was not expecting all that, because I was expecting to go there, they'd be evil, and then you just want to kill them and you're fine. But then what's the guy shit? What's the name? The mercenary. Kellogg. Yeah, Kellogg and that stupid like dream sequence thing. That was, I don't know. I don't understand that. That bothered me. Well, not bothered me, but it just like bored me. It is and a little boring. It once when I was doing it and I had to restart it. Did you get stuck too? Yeah, I got stuck in the middle because I went too far ahead because I just didn't want to hear it or deal with it. I was bored and I wanted to like get through it. But you can't rush ahead. Otherwise it will glitch out and you will have to start over. Like, I get what they were going for because, like, this entire game plays with the idea that the people who you expect to be kind of like the bad guy, for lack of a better term, 
are much more morally conflicted and it's not necessarily as black and white. Yeah, I mean, and all the factions are like, the Brotherhood has a point, but they're dicks about it. And, like, the Railroad has a point, but they're kind of, like, you know, a little extreme about it. And the Institute has a point, but they're also kidnapping people, and that's not okay. And I feel like the Minutemen are the only, like, morally, like, very balanced and the literal good option, but there's no, I don't think there's an option to, to like, side with them 100%, is there? Not really. Like, you can, but at the same time, they're less worried about the Institute than they are just rebuilding things. Is there, like, a quest line where you take out all three of the other factions? Why do I feel like there is? I don't want to commit to an answer because it'll be my luck after this gets recorded. Like, I guess I could just like murder everybody and that would solve that problem. But you know, <laughs> you know, an official story way to like knock everybody but the Minutemen out of the Commonwealth. Well, I did that in uh, New Vegas where I basically just wiped out every other faction <laughs> and just ran things. It's funny how New Vegas doesn't really come up a lot in these conversations, even though it is. It's a solid game. It just doesn't really fit in with this. Like, particular lore, I suppose. Right. As much as it is a part of that universe, the fact that that was, what, Obsidian, right? It wasn't a Bethesda game. And, yeah, I guess in a way, it doesn't really feel like it's a a direct continuation as it is just a little bit of a side story. Right, right. It's, It's, you know, in the same world, but not of the same world. And it's kind of unfortunate, though. I feel like had they took their time a little bit... They could have maybe fleshed out that game a little bit more. The West, I'm sure, definitely has their problems. It doesn't feel like it was immediate. Like, it was always kind of an afterthought. Like, okay, there was some nuclear war here and things got bombed out, but at the end of the day, we we're still in the desert. Right. A tour of the Mojave makes you wish for a nuclear winter. Was it that thing that keeps saying over and over and over again when you run into the NCR troops? Yeah. Effing <laughs> NCR troops. I'm actually looking at my Fallout 3 list that I made, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised by how how much is different from 3 and 4. We lost a couple of skills that I really liked. Like, I loved the repair skill. I actually was glad they took that out, because I was tired of having to repair things, because I'm lazy. Like, I get the mods, and I know that I'm just, like, some jerky curmudgeon, but I liked the idea of your weapons degrading. I thought it was, like, it added some realism to the situation. I don't know, maybe it was just the way I played. I wasn't getting a lot of good drops, and I don't know if that was maybe the game's way of coercing you into crafting more. Yeah, I've been a lot more into crafting on each subsequent playthrough in 4, and, like, this one, because I was, like, specifically trying to win over Codsworth, like, I crafted a lot in this game. And it's good, and there's a lot of options, but I feel almost overwhelmed by it, and I guess that would be, like, my problem for, for being overwhelmed by too many options and how spoiled am I. But I get, like, those weird completionist uh, urges towards video games. Like, I've played the Bioshock series backwards and forwards, and I've got, like, all the things. Except for the uh, Clash in the Clouds deal. I hate stuff like that, where it's just waves of dudes. <laughs> I don't know, it just annoys me. Uh, but the rest of it, like, I can know, I do backwards and forwards. Like, I know the whole thing, and it took me a lot of playthroughs to really, like, you know, find every little fun thing in all of those games. But I feel like with 4, I'm never, ever going to be able to do that. And I have to, like, find my zen place within that, like, mindset of, like, you're never going to finish this game. You're never going to find all of the things in this game. I guess that's kind of the point. So that way you replay it and then you find certain things. But I do appreciate the fact that by the time I ended that game, there was still a lot of things that I had yet to do. Right. Because otherwise I would have just played it and been like, all right, that's the ending credits or whatever. And then I'll never touch it again. My first game is about like it's about six, six and a half days. 
And I'll still go back to it and, like, wander around and do a few things. So I really feel like my first playthrough was, like, I did a solid playthrough. Side with the railroad, did all the stuff I wanted to. You know, I feel bad that I wasn't able to save Dance from the Brotherhood, but, you know, I'll try again on each subsequent playthrough to get that one right. I didn't expect it to happen, and I almost got panicked because in any Fallout game, I always up my speech to maximum because I always like the idea of being able to bullshit my way out of any situation. Right. That is very helpful, and especially in 4, it helps you skip having to do a lot of work. <laughs> right. Like, like trying to get into Vault 81, speech check. And yet, stupid me still failed that one. Like, I still gave him the fucking fusion course, which I desperately needed, by the way. But I'm like, all right, you guys know best. See, I don't use power armor, really. I just, like, I collect it and put it all in a shed, and they all just stand around looking weird on my property. Yeah, I hoard it. It's like Hoarder's Fallout Edition. On occasion, I'll get overwhelmed by my Fallout, like, Detras that I've, I've collected across the uh, the Commonwealth, and I'll, like, shut down my game and clean out my house. Like, my closet is almost empty at this point. <laughs> it's like, uh, I, I've moved all of my hoarding impulse onto Fallout. But what happened was, and I don't know if you've had this issue with any of the settlements that you're in where your power armor, where depending on what happens, like if you get attacked, my fucking settlers are taking my power armor. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, like Sturges and, oh, Mar when Marcy took it, oh, I was heated. That bitch is like, that, that lady is so ungrateful. I'm there planting melons for her, and she's like, we don't have enough food. And I'm like, lady, I'm planting melons. Like, what do you want from me? Like, take some mud fruit or whatever. Just take this and shut up. God. There's a river right over there. Why don't you go drown yourself in it? Jesus. Right? And the water's purified, so you should be okay. I put a purifier in there. There's a, like, do you want me to set up, like, a movie theater or something for you? Stupid. What does she want from me? I don't know. And, like, I hate the fact that you have the, and this is going to sound so terrible when I listen to this later on, but <laughs> the idea of keeping Mama Murphy alive or killing her, depend, you know, that is hard. Like, why couldn't that choice be on Marcy? Because in that way, I'd actually not feel anything about it. Like, I didn't realize I was going to kill her by giving her drugs because, oh, I should have realized that considering that time in, in Fallout 3, I gave that guy some jet and he died. <laughs> This is all making sense. <laughs> I probably should have seen that one coming. Like, I didn't realize she was going to die, but... Yeah, there's a lot of people in Fallout 4 that are hitting you up for Jet. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have any knowing full well in my inventory. I have, like, damn near, like, 100 Jet that I'm just sitting on. I don't even use them anymore because slowing time isn't useful to me. Extra AP would be useful to me. What's the other one? I got strung out for a little bit, um... Psycho is one of my favorites. Oh, Psycho's great. That's what like, it was. Is it how you, like, scream out and something? Like, Fucking kill! I'm like, yeah, we're gonna kill people! Good job, video game avatar! <laughs> no, I was in Gunner's HQ, and I swear to God, like, I felt like I was in every, like, foreign action movie. It was, like, something out of the raid where it's, like, me, plus, like, three floors of, like, the worst scum, and they all have guns more powerful than you. And all I have is a really bad drug addiction, and Piper Knife... <laughs> It was some. I swear, I wish there was a way I could film it because it was tense. Because I gave her like one of my best shotguns, and I was strung out on jet. I, I kept screaming and firing missiles at people, and just <laughs> to the point where when everything was done, Piper had to give me a talking to. Oh, she almost broke up with you, didn't she? Yeah, because I was I was hopped up on a lot of psycho. Yeah, she doesn't like it when you do a lot of drugs. Yeah, I'm like damn it, Piper, like. We've killed people. Like, I've shot people's heads off. Like, 
I shot a lot of legs. That's my like new favorite pastime where a raider's running at me. I just use vats and like blow their leg off and watch them go flying. So my favorite thing to do is to walk around shooting at cars until they explode. And I love this in, in 3, and you can't really find it in New Vegas, but the few times you can, it's really satisfying. It's like my favorite way to blow off steam after work. And in 4, they've really upped the animation, so you have like a little like nuclear like fusion explosion and then like the big mushroom cloud, and it's like it's gorgeous, gorgeous car exploding animation. I like they did a great job. Um, so I'm walking around with Piper. I've got like my experimental like 18A, whatever that really fancy plasma weapon you can get down at the institute is. Yeah. Um and like I'm just walking around shooting cars until they explode. And I shoot one car. Okay, bear in mind there's like nobody for miles. Like we haven't seen another soul forever. Um so I'm like shooting at cars, they explode and all of a sudden like some XP pops up on my screen. And then the other corner, it just says, Piper hated that. What the fuck and happened? I'm like, oh my god, I just like randomly killed some guy. <laughs> <laughs> I never ever realized what had happened until like, like just Piper was super, super mad at me for doing that. I'm like, Piper, it was an accident, but that's not a speech option. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times I've cursed her out because I'd get in these crazy firefights. She's nowhere to be found. Or she'll somehow be really on point, and she'll take things out before I can reach them. I had Curie, on my second playthrough, I sided with the Institute, and I had Curie with me. And she just collapsed during a huge, huge, like, boss fight. Like, I couldn't access any of the stuff that she was holding for me. And I couldn't revive her, because she gets, like, that was a glitch they just patched. That, like, sometimes your companion will just go down. So that was super-duper fun. (laughs) Oh, like, when they go down, they don't get back up, and they're kind of, like, scooting on their butts like a dog? You can't, like, stim-pack her back. She just sits there. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. During, like, this huge battle against the Brotherhood when I was sabotaging Liberty Prime. Yeah, I didn't use Kiri at all. Like, she was fun. Like, I hung out with her for a while, but it seemed like anything I was into, like, she was kind of, like, like lecturing me on, like, sanitation and things like that. And I kind of got a little annoyed, but I wanted to give her a body, but I decided not to. Maybe in my next playthrough, I'll hang out with Kiri, but the idea that I wouldn't hang out with Piper is very sad to me. Well, I, um, I completed her quest and sent her back and then, like, went and grabbed another one. Valentine's quest was really, really fun, and he is just a great, great companion. He is a lot of fun. Doing the Eddie Winter Hollow tapes, those are super, super fun. And I still can't find all of those. I'm missing, like, at least three of them. You have to have him as your companion long enough to get him to trust you, and then it will, like, trigger the quest, and it'll point them all out for you. God damn it. Okay, I guess I'm doing that next playthrough, then. <laughs> I didn't realize he was involved in that at all. No, you can go back into, like, your initial playthroughs and just grab him and, you know, go win him over. The only reason I've been able to, like all of my companions is because I've been going back into like my old games and like doing grinding quests with them. Oh yeah because that's one thing I meant to ask you a while ago just even online is the fact that see I always thought that companion quests like that only triggered during quests. I didn't realize you could just do those on like just normal runs. Oh um, yeah you can just grab them and like wander around with them. It's not like New Vegas where certain conditions have to be met. It is it's not like conditional on game situations because like Boone took me like so many playthroughs to get to Boone because I kept fucking up like a random thing with a random guy and now I can't talk to him or some fucking bullshit like that (laughs) because in in 4 it's all about how they feel about you and if they're going to tell you their secret that they need you to like help them with Right. So, like, with McCready, you have to spend a lot of time winning him over. And then he'll tell you all about, like, his kid, his wife Lucy, and 
how you can help them and how he's friends with Daisy, you know, over in a, a good neighbor, the one who asks you to clear out the library. Oh, really? Yeah. Did not realize that. So if you can, like, if you travel with a companion long enough and do enough of those little things that they like, you will eventually unlock their quest or, like, the special, like, ability that they give you. Right. However, one of my favorite things is when you swap companions, when they have, like, those little exchanges with each other. Those are fun. I saw a compilation online of them. That was great. The, one of my favorites still has to be when I went to um, the combat zone and Kate was trying to get us in a threesome. Oh, jeez. Yeah, Kate is is uh, excitable. But she, I don't like her as a companion. She just doesn't seem like I'm, I did her um, quest and I like got her all cleaned up and got all that taken care of. But I don't understand how people are like, oh, Kate's so much fun. I'm like, Kate complains when I pick up old junk that I'm going to scrap. So that's not going to work for me. It's really the accent more than anything else. I guess a brogue doesn't charm me so much. Ah, that would probably work. It doesn't not charm me. I mean, it just doesn't, like, particularly charm me. Like, Curie's accent is not, like, the charm for me type of thing. This is where I was so set, like, once you get to the Institute, I'm like, this is it. I'm just going to go in here with a gun. I'm going to shoot everybody. Day saved. Like, we're an endgame. Right. But yet, you realize it's actually where the game kind of starts. Right. It's crazy. You hit, like, you think you're, like, about to go into endgame. And I remember, like, killing a lot of time beforehand, thinking that I was going to end up in a situation where I couldn't back back out. Yeah. But no, it's just, like, a million more options have opened up, and I have, like, this overwhelming list of quests to do. And then my miscellaneous quests get, like, even more overwhelming. Like, there was a certain point where I had to sit down and, like, think about, like, okay, how am I going to accomplish this? Like, just in terms of which quest to do when. Yeah, because you're kind of always worried that if you continue doing these quests, which in a way you can't really escape, but if you continue to do them, like, are you going to then accidentally align with them if you're trying to fight them? And then you find out they will warn you before you do things like that. Yeah, I'm like, thanks a lot, game, for actually being, you know, insightful and not... I was somehow upset about that, as if they had, like, done me wrong. You know, it's like, we learn not to trust video games, you're... Like, you're telling us we can trust you? Why didn't you tell us we can trust you, Jesus? <laughs> that should be, like, right as you hit, like, any button, right as you're loading the game. It's like, you can totally trust us. We're not going to steer you wrong. We're your pals. It's like, we are working with you to not fuck yourself over. Which, again, as someone who's played video games, like, for most of his life, I'm not used to that. Right? <laughs> Mario doesn't want you to beat his levels. No. Fallout wants you to have a good time in his world. Well, I think now they do. And I think this is something that's kind of like a back and forth with video games where I guess there's now this thing where after like, let's say Dark Souls, where they're starting to come like that whole thing where... Like difficult for the sake of proving something to someone, I guess. Yes, exactly. Who are you proving things to? I mean, I mean, maybe maybe there's like an enjoyment part of it that I just don't understand that I can't particularly wrap my mind around. But like, personally, when I like sit down to play a game, I just kind of want to chill and like enjoy myself, maybe. No, I agree. To some people, it's more of a pastime. It's like, hey, work was shit. Let me sit down, shooting some mutants, and just hang out and kind of, you know, vibe out for a little bit. And, I mean, there's plenty of other video games I can play that are a lot more in-depth where I really need to think about certain things. But I'm completely fine with my Fallout experience being a comfort food. Yeah, I'm not in this for, like... Like, I... I'll play certain games and try to get better at them. Like, I remember back in the day, like, Left 4 Dead was really fun. I got, like, really good at that because it was fun to do so. But, like, this is definitely a game I come home from work and, like, I was talking about, you know, 
enjoying walking around shooting cars till they explode. This isn't, you know, <laughs> prove myself game. This is, this is, I'm going to go enjoy this other world and kind of ignore the world that I'm, you know, spent all day sitting at a desk at work. <laughs> until you get to the institute or i'm like damn it i'm questioning my own morality here like shit are they right like but yet no they seem nice and happy you know they're all walking around in clean suits everybody's you know well fed yeah things are okay but then you realize and i wonder if that's something that speaks to maybe our society where of course on in the commonwealth everybody sees the institute as boogeyman and you know what in a way they're right you know they were kidnapping people as much as you like meet these and you like kind of see where they're coming from and you appreciate the tech they're going after it's like but no you are literally kidnapping people like you no no there's no but there you can't like come back from that you don't get to like kidnap a whole bunch of people and replace them with robot versions of themselves and be like no it was like for your own good that doesn't that doesn't work and i felt like if i did the um the institute quest line that maybe I would be able to, like, steer them to not kidnapping people. But, no, you just do a bunch of radiant quests, like, recovering synths and stuff. Right, which is kind of annoying. And that sucks because that goes into the whole thing where you find out that not only are people being kidnapped, but synths who are self-aware are now being kind of, like, brought back in. And you're like, but they're kind of their own people. Yeah, you have to be, like, sort of okay with human trafficking to really, like, get down to the Institute. <laughs> and that's really oh god i'm not laughing because human trafficking is horrible i'm just laughing because like holy shit that's exactly what it is right <laughs> dang it stefan now i feel really bad for doing those missions hey i had to play through that storyline to really get like oh i guess i was just like kind of cool with human trafficking for that part of my video game experience i'm not gonna do that again <laughs> Oh, and then when um I had to do just close um you know for trophy sake or in your case achievements where you have to do the institute quests in order to get some of them, but I forgot what I was meant to do was before I finished the end of those quests, I meant to have Piper leave before I did them, but she was there the whole time, and I can't tell you how many times where it's like Piper disliked that, Piper hated that. <laughs> Piper is super duper mad at you. Oh, did you ever finish? The, um, the, oh, I don't know if you did, but if you finish the Institute missions and then go back and talk to her after, like, I guess the quote-unquote end of the game, she oh, gives you the biggest dressing down. Like, this is a video game, and she literally put me in my place. I'm like, is there a button that says, God damn, I'm sorry? Like, jeez, like, I, like, you feel bad about yourself as, like, a human person. Yeah, because she's like, after all we did, and, like, and this is what, like, she really took that personally. Oh, man, I'm going to have to load up my second game and go back and talk to her then. I want to see this. So I only have one note on my, my write-up here that I really wanted to to go over because it, it goes through every single game is Vault Tech. Like, I just, I just want to talk about Vault Tech and how crazy they are. Absolutely, let's do this. My favorite thing about the Fallout lore is, is Vault Tech and how it's, like, paired with the government to run, like, these crazy experiments on humanity. Like... The government learns is going to be nuclear war, so its decision is, okay, we'll have a couple control balls, and then, like, you guys can run some experiments on, like, 90% of the other ones. And this is the post-society that we're going to have to be dealing with. And my favorite thing about any one of the games is going and finding new vaults to explore, because every single one will always be, like, some crazy, crazy, crazy mindfuck. 
Right, and Vault 81, though, I think is my favorite. They're hitting you for fusion cores. I'm, like, I'm going to go in here. They're going to be crazy. It's going to be awful. They're going to, you know, try to kill me. But then you go in there, and it's like this perfect ecosystem. Yeah, because it was accidentally a control vault when it should have been a bunch of, like, biological warfare testing guinea pig human vaults. Right, but you can go through that whole vault and not even go through the quest line even learning that. And that's what was kind of really interesting to me, because whereas most of the games and most of the vaults you go into, right off the bat, you know, something was wrong. But here, it's like, this is too perfect. Right, and I think that's why it's like an extra twist of the knife when you find out, like, the hole in the wall and the secondary area of the vault and start reading the terminals and finding out, like, oh, this isn't going to be a control vault. This is going to be, like, a biological warfare vault, which is one of the darker ones that they've done. I think... um, and in New Vegas, they, they really leaned hard on, like, the psych experiment vaults, which I thought was really strange and very interesting. As someone who's grown up on a lot of Twilight Zone, the vaults are always, like, the, the most disturbing things to ever go through. Like, what's the twist? Where's the twist? What is it? My favorite in the New Vegas ones are the, the blue versus red vault. I don't remember that one. Which vault was that one? Uh, it was full of uh, powder gangers, if you came across it. And there's, like, a little quest you can do to help them out. That can, like, actually go a number of different ways, and it's a really interesting quest where you can, like, help them blow up the vault or, like, hunker down there or do a couple different things. And what it was is uh, half of the people were assigned to the red team and half to the blue team, and there were a bunch of cameras put up around it. Just, like, they didn't do anything specifically, but they just allowed the, the circumstances to foster paranoia. And if you go through and you read the terminals, you read how deeply paranoid people, like, slowly become. They think that, like, the blue team is poisoning the red team or that the red team is, like, putting subliminal messages in the PA system to the blue team. Like, none of these things are happening, and they're just kind of examining, like, what people would do under these cir- circumstances where they think they're being surveilled and they think they have an enemy. It's so true about, you know, the idea of paranoia and also a matter of trust because, you know, from the very opening sequences of Fallout 4, you know, it's very kind of like that post-war kind of, hey, you know, the world's coming to an end, you know, you want to be protected. And it's such a horrible thing to think about, whereas the scariest part about Fallout isn't the mutants, isn't the ghouls, or like my alert, it's the fact that, you know, the very government or the very powers that be we're supposed to protect these people, and they're just, like I said, running experiments just for, for the fuck of it. You can't trust the man. Like, when you're when you're going into Vault 111, and they're like, just step into this pod, I'm looking at this pod, I'm like, no. But I know if I don't go in there, like, the game doesn't go. Right. But there's also, like, the part of me that, like, I've been in this game before, like, I know what you're doing, and I know better than to trust Vault Tech. But unfortunately, the poor rube on my screen does not know better than to trust Vault Tech. Yeah, and you hear the people, like, and they're like, oh, we're safe, we got into the vault. But then, you know, I think it's an opening where they realize, wait, something's not right here. And, like, the confusion and the panic, and I'm like, you know what? In most games, you're already, the war's already over. Like, it's already happened. But here, you're actually seeing it firsthand, and it and it hits so much harder than it did in the other two. Because I think even when they were talking about it ahead of time, they were talking that they wanted it to be specifically a person who knew what it was like before the war hit who had, like, a point of contrast between the before and after. And uh, I think it's interesting that she she's, or in my case, she, or in somebody else's case, he, your character, walks around, you know, with all this backloaded knowledge of, like, the way the world used to be. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is tell people that I'm 200 years old when I get the opportunity to. 
and see how they respond to it. If they don't believe me or if they think it's really interesting, Piper, of course, has the best response to it by complimenting you and saying you don't look a day over 199. <laughs> oh, I love where she's like, oh, you know, I'm like walking around my own pre-war relic. Oh, she's the best. Like, what? She really is. Like, to tell you the truth, I really, really hope that there's, like, DLC that lets you play as Piper. Or we finally have two-player or multiplayer. I would love the hell out of that. Or maybe just some, like, DLC where you can take Piper and her little sister and, like, set them up at, like, a really nice settlement. Or move them into your house in, in Diamond City. You know, really, like, set up a home. For yourself and Piper and your, like, de facto child, like, really make this work. However, I want to play a game now, or at least a DLC, because I know she mentions it very briefly, but, um, Mama Murphy, when she's, like, you know, back in the day, she was known as, like, Murphy the Mad Woman. And supposedly she, like, I think, ripped, was it a Raider's head off? Oh, I remember reading about that in one of the, um, the Raider clear-out quests on, like, one of the, the Raider terminals about how they kept trying to, like, induce the visions like she used to. Right, and it's just, it's crazy, like, and I realized they set this game up where I think more than a lot of others, there's so much story to tell from the time that you were in a crowd to to when you get them on thought that it would be really cool that, like, the next series of DLC, as opposed to it being separate stories with your character, it really sets up, I guess, what happened while you were away. That would be really interesting. I, I feel like a lot of it's pointing towards, I hate to jump on that bandwagon, but, like, the underwater stuff and keep talking about more vaults and i wonder if we're going to go to different cities like we did in in three in new vegas like i feel like like point lookout is the pinnacle of new vegas dlc yes and um dead money is the worst thing that is ever no i'm i never finished dead money because i I refuse to I, i can't dead money is the only part of a video game where i've ever had to pull up a youtube visual walkthrough in order to get through it it was impossible otherwise, and it just kept dying horribly all over the place. And then I got New Vegas for my PC, and I just punched in a god code, and I just raised that place to the ground just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, I think that was the first DLC for that game, and or definitely was one of the first. I'm like, you know what? I don't know who thought this was a good idea. It's so, like, I understand survival horror games are fun for people, but that's not the game I was playing with Fallout. That's not Fallout. No. Like, I mean, Fallout 4 is survival, and there is some horror elements, but not like that. No, not where there's, like, a cloud trying to kill you, and impossible-to-murder guys trying to kill you, and also, like, holograms trying to kill you, and then Elijah trying to kill you, and then you have to run away because the building itself is going to explode and kill you. Oh, that that just brings back so many painful memories. And when we cover New Vegas, I'm going to have to revisit some of those. So um, anyone who's listening who is adverse to profanity, uh, you may want to skip the New Vegas episode because that's going to be a lot of it. I mean, Honest Hearts is such a beautiful little piece of video game that I can spend days and days in. But Dead Money can kiss my ass. Like, fuck that game. <laughs> See, I was an old world blues guy because that one was just so fucking weird. Old world blues is a blast because James Urbaniak is hilarious and an asset to anything he's a part of. And I'm hoping that at least the DLC brings back some of the humor of old world blues because the one thing about Fallout 4 is it's very funny. Right. In between crying about, you know, toy store owners and, you know, really cute companions who you kind of wish. I'm like, why don't I know you in real life? But... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my favorite thing was, uh, did you do the Pikmin Gallery? 
Which one? The Pikmin Gallery, where um, you find the serial killer of the Raiders. Oh, yes, I did do that one. There's also a bobblehead in there. I know I found all of them. I just don't remember where they were. Right, and I couldn't tell you which one it is. I just know that there's a bobblehead in there. But uh, Pikmin, if you go and talk to him, he's just, like, really cool and very smooth. And I'm like, why can't you be my companion? Weird serial killer. This game is warping my brain. Uh, I just, again, I really wish they missed, they missed in the gold opportunity with Glory, because it's like this awesome, like, badass black chick synth, like, you know, it's just like, with this giant minigun, and like, she was just like all about kicking ass in that one yeah, mission where you run together, so much fun. I would have loved her as a companion. Deacon, like, kept changing appearances, so I kept shooting him. <laughs> like, if we end up in combat and you look like not the guy I'm used to, I'm going to shoot you. Like, there's one point, though, when he's, like, you know, completely bald and clean-shaven. Like, and when he wears the shades, um, he looks almost like, um, what's the guy from A Perfect Circle? Like, Manor James Keenan? Oh, right, right. <laughs> and it's just like, dude, I'm sorry, I love your music, but you're creeping me out. Yeah, it's like, I can't, I can't do this right now. Because <laughs> every time, like, I end up in a firefight, I'm going to just look around and shoot every unfamiliar, like, entity around me. And I can't have a companion who's changing faces all the time because I'm going to shoot him in the face. <laughs> like, at least with Piper, you know, she's so very distinctive. If, like, if he kept her in the red, the red uh, coat with the hat, me, I put her in, like, flannel and, like, I gave her glasses. Like, she looked like she was in a really good, like, indie rock band. <laughs> See, I keep her and Hancock in the bright red, so that way, like, I know it's them, and I won't shoot them. No, and I still shoot Piper so many times, because I think I stole it was a gunner flannel or something like that, and every so often she'll run into the room where she'll slowly walk, and I, thankfully, there's no way you can actually kill her, because she would have been dead a long time ago. The one most important thing they did was make it so the uh, companions are not killable. Oh, man, Stefan, this has been so much fun. Hopefully it actually, like, records and takes, like... I gotta admit, like, I'm probably gonna give up after this one. But I definitely want to, like, get my thoughts down about, like, this game, because I, I have a lot of thoughts about this game. But I didn't realize you were giving up after this one. Oh, no, not, like, specifically. I'm just being a lazy asshole right now. <laughs> Bear in mind, like, I quit smoking a week ago, so I'm still in, like, salty, high-strung mode. So everything I do, I'm just like, why am I doing anything? Everything's stupid. <laughs> Yeah, it was really hard, but I'm, I'm really glad I did it, and I'm feeling, like, pretty good from it. And But it's funny, because every so often my brain's like, oh, you did such a great job, you should celebrate with a cigarette. I'm like, shut up, brain. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but how could you play Fallout when everything you, like, you loot is either a carton of cigarettes or a pack? Piper was smoking a cigarette earlier <laughs> when I was playing, and I was like, Piper, A2, Piper? <laughs> You're not helping. Oh, shit. I don't know if you had anything to, like, to plug or promote as we close out, or are you pretty much good? No, I mean, I am just a civilian who enjoys talking about uh, a video game. Let me just go through my three list and make sure I didn't forget anything. So I made sure to tell you how much I love Moira. She's she's the greatest. And, yes, we went over McCready being in both the games. Oh, so... One of my favorite things in Fallout 3 that I just think is a hilarious, like, random, like, not even an Easter egg, just, like, a, a random thing that happens is if you go to Megaton when you have the uh, Black Widow perk and go talk to Mr. Burke, who wants you to blow up the bomb instead of disarming it, you can use that perk on him and get him to, like, run away and, like, fall in love with you and it's all taken care of. Um, but if you go back to the saloon, he will leave love letters for you. Really? Yeah. 
I did not know that. Hilarious little details that, like, you go in there and the guy who runs the bar will give you, like, some nasty, like, I'm not a post office, what's wrong with you? And hand you over a bunch of letters, and they're, like, these hilarious love letters from Mr. Burke. That's funny. Yeah. I think that's the thing about three that I haven't found in four yet. Those little tiny moments that I have to, like, spend more time in the world to really, like, find and, and, like, remember that I've actually found them. Yeah, some of them, I think they're just completely, like I said, we're completely uh, random because I've been finding so many videos online of just stuff happening. I'm like, I don't remember any of this. I remember somebody was saying they, they were playing for 600 hours and still hadn't found everything. That's crazy. There's too much content. So I'm going to try to be a little bit more like, it's okay if I don't find everything. This has been so much fun, and I, I feel like we barely even like talked about half the stuff that we had probably planned on. But I'm just glad that we actually were able to get it off the ground, because I know it, it's been pretty rough the last couple of attempts. Yeah, hopefully this will get going, and we can have our little podcast about Fallout, just chatting some Fallout. Well, I mean, if everything goes well, and I guess I probably shouldn't, you know, speak too soon of it before it happens, but, I mean, there's two other games to cover, and I think in between it, I'm sure there's going to be like, oh, wait a minute, remember that thing in that one game we forgot to bring up? Because I'm sure I'm going to go through my list and be like, ah, damn it. You could do so many special episodes in the Fallout universe, like, you could do a specific Fallout podcast where it's just like, we're talking this aspect of Fallout. I'm not saying you should or that I would, because I'm incredibly lazy. Um... (laughs) There's, like, you do, like, this week on Fallout, we're talking, like, the Enclave, or we're talking, you know, the NCR. Like, you could do so many different, like, we're talking specifically, like, companions. Right, but I I think we're just going to have to at least cover, you know, three New Vegas at some point. Like, for as much as we love Piper, we all know that Eddie is the best companion. I don't know. I would argue that, and I would say Cass. Oh, Cass is really fun to have around. I'll give you that. But Eddie is useful and cheerful, and he doesn't ever talk. I mean, you, like he shoots lasers and repairs your weapons and doesn't talk. <laughs> oh, man. But, well, until that next podcast, this has been a very special episode of Agent Has Issues, and we will see you next issue.
Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm His Issues. Wait, what? Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm... Wait, wait, that's not right. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm Eileen. Tune in to the Adrian Has Issues podcast. Each week we chat with some great people. Including me from time to time. Comic book creators, comedians. Musicians and actors. Tax collectors, Zamboni drivers. (sighs) Point is, basically anyone willing to sit down for a geeky discussion or two on all things pop culture. Visit AdrianHasIssues.com where you can download and stream every episode. Especially the ones featuring yours truly. Visit Adrian Has Issues on Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave a rating and review and tell me how amazing I am. Us. I mean us. Ah, I'm kidding. You're way cooler than I am anyway. Aw, thanks, babe. Oh, and Adrian Has Issues is also a proud member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. Awesome. Nice save, Brodor. <sighs> Visit AdrianHasIssues.com. <laughs>